um, is going to close our sermon series uh, in the book of Ephesians this morning. Um, my experience with the team was absolutely amazing. And I was talking with James on the way back, and um, you know, we had the opportunity to see um, four people make professions of faith, three people baptized. Uh, we handed out countless Bibles in their native language. Um, we were able to talk with people and pray for people. And what James said was, on a mission trip that's that short, we were actually only in the villages and the city for about five days. He said that that is a, a crazy amount of fruit for a short-term trip. On a short-term trip, really what you're trying to do is you're just trying to be like that front line in there where you're talking about Jesus because you're bringing up the name of Jesus and they've never heard it before, right? There, there, is, there is absolutely no framework when you're talking with people in the nations, right? They, they've never heard of Jesus. They don't understand the concept of sin usually. Um, and, and they don't even think about it, right? And so usually you're just trying to go in there. You're trying to just, hopefully maybe you talk to them about Christ so the next time someone goes back and they've heard about it before, it, it begins building familiarity. But to see people really say that last day was, was so special. And it made me think that we're legitimately a part of what God is doing in this beautiful country. It is so humbling to be in a place that is so fresh with the gospel and to know that God is moving, was moving before you got there. And as we're meeting today, he is literally doing things there. People will often ask, well, how do I, how do I be a part of this? How, how do I help? And one of the things that I think Matt and James have done a really good job of, of teaching us over this past year is there's three things that we can do as a local church. Because I believe that especially with technology, we have an opportunity unlike anybody else. I mean, anybody else in, in all of history to legitimately make an impact on the nations. And, and you can do that from your seat right here really in three ways. Number one, we can pray. Number two, we can give. And number three, we can go. We can pray, we can give, we can go. And one of my cool experiences having been there and shared the gospel with, I mean, I think our group just alone probably shared with roughly 50 people total. Um, got to pray with people, give Bibles to people. I feel now in my prayers, I can actually pray for names of people that I know are over there. I can pray for a place that I've, I've been. And I just want to encourage you to begin legitimately praying for the nations and, and specifically the people of Southeast Asia and to be giving financially. We have, if you want to give to the nations here in the church, we can make that happen. I would encourage you to go when we go on future trips to kind of just come along. I think I hear a lot of people talking about like some people, they don't want to go at all. Some people, all they want to do is go. And I think, I think you just start going. I think you start doing trips and trust that God will call those over full time who want to go. And if, if maybe if that's not your specific thing, you're called here, that God will make that clear. But I really have a passion for seeing our church being about more than just White Oak. We care about White Oak, we care about Oak Forest and Northwest Houston, the Heights. We love this community, but we also are called to love the nations. But my main takeaway from this mission trip, and my wife can attest to this, for much of the trip, it felt less like a mission trip and it felt more like a war. It felt less like a, like a trip, and it felt more like a daily battle. There was this moment in the trip, I'll be very transparent here, when House and I were in the, um, getting ready in the hotel in the morning, and we just started kind of arguing a little bit, and, and we don't argue that much, but that's not a major struggle of ours. 
and we're just kind of getting on each other's nerves, and like, it's not like we're just not used to living together, because we always live together, right? That's not a new thing in a hotel room, right? And there came this point, because, you know, we're not always quick to assume that it's the enemy or it's Satan, because I think sometimes we make excuses for our own sin by saying that Satan's tempting us, right? Satan tempted, but we did it, you know? And so we had this moment where we're like, we know what's going on here. We know that when we go to the nations to take the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ to a place it's never been, we know Satan doesn't want that to happen, amen? And we know that he'll do anything to make it not happen. And Wadok, I have a question for you this morning. Do you ever feel like your life is a war? Do you ever feel like your life is one long, tiresome, wearisome, never-ending, constant battle? Do you ever feel this way? It's because it is. Our lives are a battle. Our lives are not something to be enjoyed. Our lives are a battle that is to be won. And in light of that, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Like I said, I'm going to preach my shortest sermon ever. At least that's my plan. And I want you to see this one thing. I don't have a lot of time to dive into it, get into the Greek, get into the different diversities of the armors. I've heard a lot of good sermons on that. There's a lot of good resources online if you want to find something like that out. But I want to, I want to tell you this one thing, that the armor of God empowers us to stand firm in the battle of life. If you've ever wondered why life is tough, it's because it is a battle. It was a battle for the church in Ephesus when Paul was writing to them like we're going to read this morning. And today in Houston, Texas in 2014, life is a battle. And everybody loves going to this text and they love seeing the armor of God and diving into it. But do you know why the armor of God is given to us? Do you know why Paul talks about the armor of God? Because the main point of this text this morning is to stand firm. To stand firm. Life is a battle. Stand firm. How do we do that? We put on the armor of God. And it is my conviction that some of us are standing firm and some of us are cowards and we're running away. And at every instance of pain, we kind of retreat. When community gets hard, we back off. When work is tough, we just want to quit. When we don't want to share the gospel, we just don't do it. But I honestly believe that the ultimate joy in life is not an easy life, but a, a life that wins the war. Stand with me as we read Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you. Paul writes this to the church. Finally, in closing... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, which is demons, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, why don't, here's the answer. Take up the whole armor of God that 
you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me, Paul, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May God bless this word. You may be seated. The armor of God empowers us to stand firm in the battle of life. As I mentioned earlier, the main thrust of this text, what Paul is is really getting at, I know the armor of God is a beautiful illustration and we love to dive into it and it's great, but ultimately the armor of God is given to us as Christians to stand firm. And I think, let's be honest, that can be tough for us because if you really think about it, in our culture, I mean, don't we live in a culture of least resistance? One of the cool things about being um, in Southeast Asia was you learn how many of the things that you love and think you can't live without, um, you really can live without. For me, ice. I love ice, right? I love ice in my soft drinks. I love ice in everything I drink. Um, And over in China, they're just not really big on ice. They're also not big on, um, you know, they're not big on things like AC. Everywhere you go there, it is hot. Because the people there are a lot skinnier than we are. They're a lot smaller than we are. Therefore, I guess they give off less body heat. However, we as big Americans, we walk in there, we're giving off tons of body heat. I felt like a seven-foot giant over there, right? Everybody is so short. That really caught me off guard. Because I'm thinking Yao Ming, right? I'm thinking, like, he came from this country, right? He came from this country. But I, I'm, I'm telling you, they're, they're this big. I mean, probably the average guy, I would say, is this, this, this height, right? And it's funny, you go over there and like Facebook, because I didn't have internet, and the Communist Party over there basically controls everything, uh, controls the internet. And so we had no Facebook, no social media. I couldn't Facebook for like 10 days. I didn't Instagram, I didn't tweet. I was not getting the push notifications of ESPN.com on my phone every time the final score of the Rockets game happened. Or every time some star athlete broke his leg or Dwight Howard misses another game, I didn't get any of that stuff, right? And and every time there was some other stupid shooting in America, there was no CNN notification on my phone, I couldn't text anybody. Thank you. I I, I did not receive a lot of, like, texts from people. Uh, You guys were very nice. Uh, I went on a vacation this past summer, and literally nine out of the ten days, somebody from the church contacted me for one thing or another. And so uh, it was nice to go and get back. I didn't have a lot of text messages awaiting me. I had a lot of emails, but not texts, and so I can live with that. But all these things that I, I, I do constantly in my days that I think make my life so comfortable, that make it so livable, in reality, we really don't need them. 
And you realize that when, when you don't have them for a moment. And, and all these things are good. I don't think they're bad. I, when I got back, I've been checking Facebook regularly. I've been getting notifications on my phone. I've been texting and calling people. But we have to be careful because these things are often a result of our culture of least resistance. And when you think about it, we live in America, which is like the cream of the crop when it comes to we want to live a, cult, a comfortable life. And not only do we live in America, I, I've walked you through this before, we live in Houston, Texas. We have perfected the suburb, amen? We have perfected the suburb. We have, we have perfected what it looks like to just, you know, find a comfortable life. And there's nothing wrong with living in the suburbs. I have a lot of friends who live in the suburbs. I guess some people could even say I kind of live in a suburb-type place. But, but we, we love this idea of having society where it's, it's comfortable and it's easy, and we assume any kind of discomfort is wrong. Or any kind of discomfort is something I should distance myself from. When in reality, when we begin, like my wife says, to like begin leaning into the battle, to begin leaning into the pain in our life, that is when God does so many beautiful things. And, and the reason why Paul uses this imagery of armor is because life is a battle. Whether or not you believe it, you're at war. You're at war, you're in a battle, and Satan and demons have, have, have bad plans for your life, but God has a perfect plan for your life, and the army that you've been put to fight with is the church. And we're all fighting individual battles, but as the church, we're fighting one big war. And so Paul says, when, when the enemy comes and when things are tough or when you're on a mission trip and you feel opposition, he says one thing, stand firm. You say, okay, John, so how do, I, how do I do that? That's where the armor of God comes in. There is this beautiful doctrine in our faith called Christus Victor. And what Christus Victor means is that on the cross, when Jesus died, because we're not just a God-centered church, we are a gospel-centered church, right? Because we believe in God, but we believe that the gospel on the cross is the center of what we believe. And on the cross, what we believe is that Jesus, when he died, he defeated death. He defeated Satan and demons, and in him, he gave us power over those things. Christus victor means that in Christ, we are a victorious people. Yes, you're in a battle, but it is easily won. It costs a lot, but it's easily won in Christ. One of the things I had uh, to do on the trip, because um, apparently a flight from Houston to Beijing is a long time, uh, 15 hours to be exact, um, I got to download some movies on my iPad and watch them. And uh, I'm a huge World War II and war buff. Anyone else like those kind of movies? Or? Mm. And so I got to watch a lot of documentaries on World War II. And I'm always so fascinated by the Axis powers. And the Axis powers were uh, a group of countries, the Nazi Germans, the Italians, and the Japanese in World War II that came together. I mean, literally small countries in World War II that came together with small populations compared to the rest of the world. And those three itty-bitty countries, you can go look at a map, they're not big, they almost took up the entire world. In fact, if Nazi Germany had not decided to attack a Russia and made a, a bad move, probably they believe that to this day, we would all be Nazi Germans. This church probably would have never even been built if he had played his cards a little bit differently. 
And I was watching this documentary, and they were saying, how did this happen? How did, like, China was a massive country that was literally invaded by Japan in, like, two weeks. This small country, a lot less people, just blew through this bigger country. And the reason is because Japan and Germany and Italy had the best armor and the best weaponry. You see, we have entered the modern era where it's not about the biggest army anymore. It's about what technology do you have? And my question to us this morning is, it doesn't matter how big our church is. All that matters is that we literally have the armor of God. And whatever you're facing today, whatever battle you're in, you literally have the power to win it in the name of Jesus. I want you to know one thing this morning. Stand firm. Don't surrender. When we stop reading the Bible, that's surrender. When we stop praying, that's surrender. When we stop gathering with the local church because we know best and we don't need anybody and we don't need to serve anybody, that's called surrender. And, and where it gets tough is when we try to walk through this life on our own strength and our own ability. But all along, from the very beginning, we were created to walk with God. We were not created to walk alone. I was talking with a good friend of mine a few days ago, and he's kind of going through some struggles, and he kept going back to this one idea. He kept saying, I know I, know I need to be walking through life with people, but I just don't want to. And, and I was asking myself this question, how come somebody can't find the motivation to do something they know they need to do? Have you ever been there? Like, you know you need to do it, but you just can't. Have you ever, have you ever wondered, like, I know I need to, but I can't. That doesn't make any sense logically. And what I've come to believe over my life, my ministry, is that's just an attack from the enemy. And so when we know we need to do things, we have to push through that initial sense of, I don't really want to do it. We have to push through that pain because, as Paul says, we are in a battle. And I'll close with this image. As Paul closes this letter, he's talking to a guy called Tychicus, and he's telling him to go and let all the churches know about everything that God is doing. And the reason why he has to say this in those last verses of Ephesians is because Paul is under house arrest. Paul's faith had cost him his freedom. And when we were in Asia this past uh, few weeks, I had the first experience in my life where I was followed by a security guard because they knew that we were out sharing the gospel with people. I have never experienced that in my life. And I'm, I'm kind of cynical, so at first I was like, he's not following us, you know. He came up, we were, I, was, uh, I was playing this game with this lady where you have like this ball and you throw it up and you try to catch it. And I'm playing and, and this guy kind of comes maybe 10 feet from me and starts standing next to me and just, just watching me really awkwardly. And I thought maybe he wanted to talk with me because over there I'm like a celebrity, you know. I kept telling everybody I was Manu Ginobili or, you know, making up some character I kind of look like. Um, not really, but, and he came over, I thought he wanted to talk with me and he didn't. I tried to walk towards him. He got kind of awkward, kind of walked off. And for the remainder of our time in that park, he stayed almost legitimately, probably 
maybe 50 to 75 feet from us, but literally trailed us the entire time until we walked off and um, actually, I, I, we left because I got my first ride on an e-bike, which was pretty awesome. I got some pictures. I'll post them online if you want to see them. They're really cool. I got to drive one too. That was really cool. Um, but I was literally followed by a security guard. And he knew what I was doing. And I knew what he was doing. And, and it was that moment where I was like, there are forces in this world that do not want me to tell people about Jesus. And the only way that we can overcome this is not by trying harder or doing more, but relying on the gospel. The way you win the war is you fight for the one who's already won the war. The battle for this world is not up in the air. It's not maybe. Jesus won it on the cross. And he ascended back into heaven with the Father, and he is going to come back. And he is going to finish off this war And I challenge you as the church to be on his side because we were created to walk with God. We were created to win the war. Pray with me. Father, we uh, we come before you today and we just thank you for the fact that you're winning the war today, God. That God, as we're praying, you are fighting off Satan on our behalf. And God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would make us people of victory, not people of surrender. God, I pray that if there is somebody in this room who has surrendered, that you would empower them to get back in the game, to pursue you, to love you, to go after you, to share your message with the world. I pray that you would give them a mission and that you would empower them. For those this morning who are questioning giving up or giving in, they're on the very edge and they don't know if they can do it anymore. I pray that you would give them the power to, as you say in your word, to stand firm. Because the final forces of victory are coming. They are on their way. We just need to stand firm. And I pray that as a church here at White Oak, you would help us to fight this battle together. That we would not be rogue soldiers trying to to do it our own way. But that we would see the value of community in living the Christian life. God, we love you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that all we have to do is believe and then literally just march right behind you as you conquer this world with love and peace and goodness. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.